After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. All glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scriptures will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Today we are continuing our series called 17, where we are taking a look at the heartfelt and rich prayer that Jesus prays before the night he is arrested. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, one of the most recognized verses from scripture is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Through the life of Jesus, those who believe in him will receive eternal life. Each individual who believes is promised this experience. But what is eternal life? 
Is it a place? Is it immortality? Is it just unending time and reality? Can it be something we possess? Or is it just the fact that our bodies won't die anymore? What makes eternal life eternal life? In John 17, Jesus expands on the promise of John 3.16 and tells us how he defines eternal life. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God and Jesus is eternal life. This knowing is not just referring to having knowledge of something, but it is a relational knowing. It is knowledge that comes from trusting and communing with God. Have you ever wondered why it works this way? Why is having a relationship with God enough for us to receive eternal life? Well, this is also largely affected by what we even think eternal life is. When I was just asking the questions about what eternal life was, was Jesus' definition something that came to your mind? Depending on how we were raised or the things we have experienced, I am sure that we all picture it a little differently. In this message, I want us to consider what the word eternal might have meant in more ancient contexts and what that might mean for what Jesus is saying here. What does Jesus envision when he envisions eternity and eternal life? And if we are sent to share the knowledge of God and Jesus to the world, what does it mean to be leading people to experience eternal life? As I continue with the message, I want us to think about that in the back of our minds. Uh, but let's set it aside for a second. The Gospel of John as a whole gives us a more intimate look and a bigger window into who Jesus was. And John 17 is no exception. We get to peer into what Jesus thought was the most important thing to pray for in front of all of his disciples before he dies. I think it is important to note that this prayer is meant for both God to hear and for the disciples who are with him and listening to every word. I always forget that this prayer in John 17 is happening at the table of the last Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus had recently finished washing their feet, and Judas has just exited stage right and was on his way to betray Jesus. Jesus then continues speaking to his disciples at the table, and the disciples listen to him with full bellies, clean feet, and with both a mixture of confusion and understanding. This is not Jesus alone in the garden, but it was an intimate and warm communal setting at the table of remembrance. It is a place where they are fully present in each other's presence. In his prayer, Jesus reveals to them what is most important for them to remember when he is gone. And he gives them an image of how he will be praying for them even after he leaves to a place that they cannot follow. In this prayer, Jesus is looking towards being reunited with the Father soon. Jesus knows that his work is almost done and it is the end of his time here on earth. When we read this prayer, it seems to me that we are supposed to see Jesus as anticipating and fully looking forward to leaving and returning to the Father. 
He is not eager to stay, and if anything, he wants those he loves to come with him. But as we can also see, Jesus is not abandoning the world either. In this prayer, he clearly sends his disciples and future believers into the world. Jesus sends us into the world the same way that his father sent him. It seems that Jesus knew that the plan was and always had been to pass the baton to those who belong to Jesus. Jesus is saying soon it will no longer be my turn, but yours. In many ways, this prayer is a commission. To me, this shows that we were never intended to be passive spectators of God's work in this world, but active participants. Since the story of the garden, God intended humanity to be stewards on this earth. We were given a responsibility to each other and the world. We were meant to take care of it and expand the capacity for life. We were charged to multiply life just as Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. The incarnated life of Jesus reminds us of this original intention for our relationship to the world. Jesus fervently prays that we would not be taken out of the world, but be sent in and embrace our responsibility to it with great intentionality, just as he did. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gives us new focus and freedom of how we can expand our roles as stewards and who gets to be in that role. God intervened in this world through Jesus, but the goal was never to take away our sense of responsibility and agency, but to both expand and empower our agency, as well as our capability and responsibility to one another through love, justice, truth, and grace. This was not just for the disciples, but all of those whose faith would come after. This prayer was prayed for us as well. Now, what I find most interesting after sitting with this passage for some time around is that Jesus does not mention when he will come again after he leaves to the Father. In this baton passing prayer, he chooses not to paint a picture of a distant reality where God will come and save the day, destroy the world and spare his own. The movement that Jesus focuses on in John 17 is not us leaving the earth, but being sent in. And just as the prayer in John 17, this starts with the definition of eternal life. Eternal life is now. Jesus grounds the definition of eternal life in the present. According to his definition of eternal life, knowing God and Jesus was already being experienced by his disciples and those who believed. It had nothing to do with a far off distant time, and it was not something that was on the other side of the end of the world and after a grueling apocalypse. It begins once you know God and the person of Jesus. But truthfully, eternal life is not just about a quantity of time, but about quality. It is not just about life that is timeless or does not end, but it is about the type of life that is experienced. Knowing God, 
Jesus, and experiencing the community of those who know him should unfold a deep quality of life, one of love, equality, and justice, one of peace, security, joy, and belonging. This is expressed in the Old Testament idea of shalom. And truthfully, the idea of eternal life as an afterlife is something that we see much more in the New Testament than the Old Testament. In the ancient Hebrew world, a godly life and a right relationship with God would result with shalom. Shalom was peace and prosperity. It was everyone having what they needed and having life abundantly. This is the quality of life that God intended for us to experience as we know him. Life without death is life without injustice. It is the deepest expression of our God-intended humanity. Eternal life is not just life unending, but the ability to fully live in the first place. Part of the good news that we deliver is that this is what God wants for all of us. Being sent into the world then also means that we need to be engaged and involved enough to be aware of when injustice is undermining the dignity and quality of life that comes with knowing and embodying the love of God. We should be identifying where there is not quality of life and through God's love and justice, be shalom makers. It is not just about the future, but it is about the present, the right now. Jesus was preparing his disciples and the many generations of faith who would come after for their responsibility to each other and the world not just the hope of the future to come. Now, crisis and trauma may make us want to disassociate from the world. We do spend seasons as humans disconnecting ourselves because we are wounded and we are tired of fighting for justice. But if we can experience healing, healing will express itself again through advocating for justice and peace, which really is healing for our world. In this prayer, Jesus focuses on the present and on our presence in the world. He does this to ground us and prays that we will not drop the baton that we have received. Now, Carl pointed out to me earlier this week that John 17 warns us that the danger of, it warns us of the danger of a theology that is then and there instead of here and now. Jesus's prayer unites and grounds us in the present so that we do not lose sight on freeing the oppressed and fostering the kingdom of God here in the world. Jesus prays for groundedness and connection over disconnection and disinterest guised to spirituality. Now this week, uh, the results of the grand jury in Breonna Taylor's case uh, came out here in the US. And I'm not sure if everyone is aware of it, but it is disheartening to hear the silence in many U.S. churches about the injustice in this case, and, and instead they are choosing to justify law over the value of life. It is easy for us to have our eyes so much on the next world that we become blind to injustice and the loss of value in life as a whole. Now, instead of saying the world is doomed, why should I care? I pray that our hearts would truly be broken for what breaks God's heart. 
I pray that we would not treat our faith as just an escape hatch from this world, but as a reminder of our responsibility to each other as people of faith and as humans who bear the image of God. Thank you.